George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Tony McDade, Trayvon Martin, Laquan McDonald, Freddie Gray, Eric Garner, Ayanna Stanley Jones, Botham Jean, Michael Brown, Sandra Bland, Yvette Smith, Alton Sterling, David McAdee, Walter Scott, Brianna Taylor, Tamir Rice, Philando Castile, and Stefan Clark. Say their names, and don't you ever forget them. Black Lives Matter, not that they matter more than anyone else's lives, just that they matter too, has strangely been a topic of debate. The The belief that an uh, entire group of people's lives matter has been a debate recently. Now, am I surprised? No. This country has been fighting systematic racism and oppression for 400 plus years. And the most ridiculous thing I've heard by some people is the claim that systematic racism doesn't exist in our current times. I mean, hell, Jesse Lee Peterson, a black conservative radio host, said not only does racism not exist, he says it never existed. Jesse Lee Peterson said that racism never existed. So to him, the sale of human beings was not racist. The sale of black people into being slaves was not racist. To him, the lynching of black Americans for the sole fact that they were black isn't racist. To him, a white man being able to say a black man committed a crime with no evidence, which led to that black man's arrest and definite guilty verdict, isn't racist. To him, organizations like the KKK, who are built on the belief that white people are a superior race and that every other race is inferior to that that belief system, that entire group, that's not racist. And and them uh, acting throughout the years and, and you know committing horrid acts, that's not racist. Jesse Lee Peterson, like so many others, choose to ignore the facts. They choose to ignore the facts about racism in America. They choose to commit the sin of indifference and turn a blind eye to 400 plus years of deplorable oppression. However, there are others out there who will acknowledge the past examples of racism. But again, they will say that there isn't racism in our current day. However, there's tons of examples of systematic racism in the world today. For example, our school curriculums, okay, they're Eurocentric and they focus on white America. And yes, black figures are acknowledged, but nowhere near at the rate at which white Americans are. Our school curriculum usually gives the impression that black history started with slavery. They ignore black history before 1619. Oh, and when the experiences of black Americans are told, they're told in the context and perspective of the white American who's writing the textbook and who's determining the curriculum. So yes, black Americans' uh, you know, perspectives and beliefs and history is discussed, but it's discussed by the white person who's writing the textbook. All right, and you want another example? Even though the percentage of black Americans in America is at 12.7%, their unemployment rate is 4.4 percentage points higher than white Americans. White Americans make up 73% of the population, 73, and black Americans make up 12.7%, yet their unemployment rate is 4.4 percentage points higher. All right, so another example, on Capitol Hill, you know, where, where, where we are represented, where the people of the nation are represented, 
There are 535 members of Congress. 57 of them are black. So out of 535 members of Congress, the Senate and the House, who are supposed to be representing us and representing all Americans, 57 of them are black. And I'll keep going. In 2018, a black worker earned 62% of what a white worker made. A black worker earned 62% of what a white worker made. They earned 38% less on average. For per capita income, black Americans make 42% less than white Americans. And the poverty rate of black Americans, uh, as shown by these data points, is more than two times the rate of white Americans. In our education system, black students are half as likely to get AP credit as a white student. Also, in our banking system, black Americans are denied mortgage loans at a higher rate than any other race. Black Americans make up 12% of the population, yet in our prison systems, they make up 33% of the prison population. Okay, so even though black Americans make up 12% of America's population, they make up 33% of the prison population. Okay, and, and that's, that's, that's not simply a coincidence. Okay, that is because of systematic racism within our policing system, within our legal system. I'm not calling it a justice system because it's not. It's a legal system. Plain and simple. We do not have a justice system. We have a legal system. To move on, on average, black men are five times as likely to be imprisoned than white men. And at ages 18 to 19, black men are 12.7 times as likely to be arrested and imprisoned. Okay, think about that. Someone who's just starting out in life, who's, who's going to college or, you know, who, who's going to you know, start a new job or someone who's already in college for the first year. Just because they're black, they're 12.7 times as likely to be arrested than a white person at the same age. And again, I don't know how someone can look at that and not see an issue. But we'll continue. While marijuana usage between white and black Americans is about the same, black Americans are 3.64 times as likely to get arrested for marijuana usage. So if um, the fact a little while ago about the prison population surprised you, th this should put in perspective for you. Black Americans are 3.64 times as likely to get arrested and imprisoned for something that they do at the same rate as white Americans. And that should show you one of the many examples of systematic racism. Um, as I previously said, this exact same crime, not the same rate, because a person is black, they're 3.64 times as likely to be arrested and imprisoned for it. And that's, again, not a coincidence. That is because of systematic racism that exists in this country. Now, the data points that I cited, if you want to see them and, and see some of the graphs I used or, and even see some more data, uh, you can go on businessinsider.com. They have great data points and graphs showing the examples of systematic racism within our country. And if there's anything I want everybody listening to take away from this, it's that systematic racism exists in so many different industries and entities. It's in our prison systems, our banking systems, in our workplaces, in our education system, and so on and so forth. Racism isn't just a disease to where there are obvious examples. Because, as we know, there are, there are clear, obvious examples. But there's also smaller examples that lead to bigger issues. Racism isn't just someone making a bigoted remark or using a slur. It's also the big and small biases that lead to bigger issues. Listen, racism can be a life or death situation. 
for those who are targeted by it. As many, if not all of you know, police brutality has been in the news recently. And as previously discussed, racism in our policing systems is very much alive. However, it's not just present in arrests, it's present in the data on police shootings. And also, it's not an issue that is slowly getting better. In 2019, black Americans were three times as likely to be killed by police officers. Three times as likely. Just because someone was black, just because of their race, they were three times as likely to be shot and killed by a police officer. That is not something, again, that is a coincidence. That is a clear example of systematic racism. Black Americans, for the sole reason of them being black, were three times as likely to be shot and killed by a police officer, and that is not okay by any means. And listen, some politicians are starting to take steps to end it. Starting to take steps years and decades after the incidents have started and, and after they've sparked. But now, because of social media posts and outcries and protests, they're finally saying, hmm, I guess you should actually protect some of our citizens. I guess now we can take that step. And again, I'm never going to congratulate someone because they're just now deciding to take the steps and present legislation to fix these issues. This is not something new by any means. And the fact that you, that you as a politician are just now waking up because of protests and because of outcries, that's ridiculous. This is something that has been around for decades. And the fact that they are just now waking up to it is ridiculous. And I will not congratulate anyone. I don't think anyone uh, should congratulate these politicians because they're just now taking some steps. Now, listen, the Senate GOP uh, is putting forth a police reform bill. And again, don't congratulate them for it. Should have already been done. Um, but it is most likely going to pass, pass both houses. However, it does not go far enough at all. At all, it doesn't. Um, there have been some bigger steps, such as New York and chokeholds. Um, San Leandro, California, and Minneapolis have defunded their police departments. Um, and on a national level, as I stated beforehand, the uh, Senate GOP bill most likely is going to pass and it will take some steps, but again, it's not enough. However, there are some reforms that I also think are completely obvious, um, but again, there, there's some that I feel are very necessary, and I, I want to I wanna discuss some of them right now. The first one is make it illegal for officers to have sex with someone in their custody. I'm going to repeat that. Make it illegal for officers to have sex with someone in their custody. And some people right now are going to be confused and say, wait, that isn't a law already. It's not. In 35 states, officers are allowed to have sex with people in custody. And I just want you to think about the scenarios that could lead to. So someone who has already arrested you, uh, has complete power over you, who could determine how your life goes from then on, is a lot, are allowed to have sex with you. And again, it's legal in 35 states. In 35 states, an officer can do that. That means only 15 states have thought, yeah, we probably shouldn't allow people with this much power over someone to have sex with someone uh, in their custody. Only 15 have woken up to that. And thankfully, this is one of the reforms in the Senate GOP bill. But I'm not going to congratulate uh, someone just for one reform. The next reform is abolishing qualified immunity. Qualified immunity is the legal statute that makes it almost impossible for a citizen to sue a police officer. Qualified immunity basically means that you have to be able to prove that 
any officer could look at what the officer being sued did and see that it's clearly a violation. And that is something that is extremely hard to prove. It's one of the reasons why the rates at which officers who have committed these atrocities are sued is so low because of qualified immunity. And it's something that without question should be uh, abolished 100%. The next one, next reform is something that I'm kind of surprised it's even a debate. It's body cameras. To me, body cameras must be on for every arrest, traffic stop, and investigation. And, And this isn't just something that protects citizens. It protects officers. If an officer is involved in a shooting or, you know, is being attacked, a body camera is going to be able to record the incident and record, um, you know, whoever's attacking them and, and record what's going on. And also it makes sure that there's video evidence. If a citizen says, Hey, I was mistreated by a police officer. The body camera is there to say, or not to say, but to show the evidence, whether that did or didn't happen. And the insane thing to me is that some the people who go, oh, we can't defund the police, you know, they're here to protect us and they need military gear, say no to body cameras. That's insane to me because they run the, st- the point that, oh, you can't defund the police because they need protection gear, but then don't want to go with body cameras, which would 100% protect that officer. It's just one, it's just one of those double standards that's absolutely ridiculous to me. But the next one, uh, the next reform is that there must be a national database of police disciplinary records. This is so that an officer's disciplinary record is easier to access in legal cases and when reviewing an officer's uh, record, if a police department is going to hire them, it means there's a national database that can easily be accessed. The next one is that officers are required to go to therapy for any high-stress arrest or incident. Listen, if an officer is not clearly thinking, if you know their, their mind is clouded or there's something going on and they haven't been giving help, that means two things. That means, one, that officer is at risk because they're not thinking straight. And then, two, a citizen is at risk because they're not thinking straight. And therapy is the best solution to try and help uh, someone who, who needs uh, additional help with their mental health. And therapy is something that police officers, in my opinion, should go to a lot more because, as I said before, if someone's mental health is not okay and they're not thinking clearly, that puts the officer at risk and the citizen at risk. And they can't protect and serve if they're not taking care of themselves um, because then they can't take care of the citizen. The next reform is, again, one that to me is completely obvious and should have been done a long time ago, is limit the use of force. For example, chokeholds. When the body is choked... Its instinct is to fight back. You can't you can't keep the body from fighting back. It's instinct to fight back when you're being choked. A person isn't resisting arrest when you know they start trying to fight out of the choke. It's it's just what happens um, because that's how the body reacts, plain and simple. And then the next reform after that is in regards to our police academy requirements. So if you didn't know the police academies in America, the length at which an officer has to go is only eight weeks. And if you compare that globally, that is much shorter than any other country. Um, So one, I think the length has to be extended. um, But then I also think there's other reforms within the police academies you can make. For example, sensitivity training. That should be something obvious. I'm pretty sure it's already there. But again, eight weeks um, with only a few sensitivity training courses isn't getting anything done. So I think there needs to be a lot more of that. I think there also needs to be courses on how to de-escalate and defuse situations. 
Um, because again, not every arrest or scenario should lead to an officer pulling out their gun. And I'm not saying they do. That doesn't happen a lot. However, it does happen at a rate that is way too high. So I think that if officers are taught to defuse situations, and they might already uh, be doing so, but I think if it's done more, it will mean that there's going to be less shootings and less atrocities that are committed. Um, the next requirement uh, is require therapy once a semester. Again, this is to normalize it so an officer feels more okay with going and, and getting help uh, for their mental health. Um, if you normalize it from the beginning, from the police academy, an officer will feel more open to going and getting therapy and taking care of their mental health. If you normalize it from the beginning at the police academy, an officer will be a lot more open to doing it uh, later on when they're actively patrolling. And then the next one is um, officers are required while in the police academy to do 100 hours of community service in the community they're policing. When you think of a good officer, personally to me, I think of the officers who go and, you know, give food um, to a lot of people in the neighborhoods, go and, you know, uh, there's like videos of officers going, like helping people tie their ties and things like that. That's a good officer. And I think that that will be more encouraged if they're told that they have to go and not police, but go and help out the community that they're later on policing. If they meet a lot, of, and by they, I mean the officers, meet a lot of uh, the people that they're going to be protecting and serving and, and they help out in the community, they're going to care about it more and they're going to want to help out a lot more. And I'm not saying that an officer doesn't want to help out, but I'm saying they'll feel a lot more safe in the community that they've already helped out. And I think that the community that they're going to be end up policing is going to feel safer and feel a lot more open to having these officers there. So if you encourage um, that community work and make a requirement, that means it's going to benefit the people in the community and for the officers because they're going to feel more trustworthy of each other. And then the next reform, this isn't specifically the police system. This is more the legal system, but make lynching a federal crime. Lynching has been something used by white supremacists and by the, the scum of the earth um, against black Americans for hundreds of years. And the fact that lynching isn't a federal crime is, is one of those laws uh, like the the laws brought up before um, that haven't been passed yet, they're just it's just ridiculous. Lynching still isn't a federal crime. It's 2020. W without question, lynching should be a federal crime. People should not go to state prison. They should go to federal prison. Prison, plain and simple. Um, however, these are just reforms that should have been implemented. One of the biggest things that people have been talking about is defunding the police systems entirely. And as I said, um, one one city in California and then Minneapolis have defunded their police departments. And, and there probably have been more, but those are just some of the biggest ones. And to me, because of the fact that these reforms haven't been passed yet and are just now being discussed, sadly, means that people are going to be a lot more open to defunding. Because again, if you're just now taking the steps um, as politicians to take care of these issues and, and make the effort, a lot of people are going to be like, hey, it shouldn't have taken all this to do it. So they're not going to say, oh, no, we're not going to let you do reforms now. We're going to defund the police. So I, I, don't, I don't think people should be so shocked that people want to defund the police. This is an issue. Police brutality, for example, has been going on for decades and decades. And because a lot of action hasn't been taken to fix any of it, people feel that's their last resort. And they're right, they have the right to, to feel that way. 100%, they have the right to feel that way and feel that desperate about it because of the fact that nothing has been done in so long. So, to me, 
defunding, you know, might not be the first step in a lot of people's minds, but I get why people feel that way. I 100% get why people feel that way. As I said before, politicians shouldn't be congratulated for now taking care of these issues. They should have been done before. And for a lot of people, specifically black Americans, who have been having to deal with these issues for decades and decades, they're, they're going to say there's reforms that are going to get anything done. We need to defund the police. And I completely get why they feel that way. And I, I think everyone, if they really look at it, is going to feel that way. Now, now next, in closing, I have some questions I want to ask people. You know, I want to ask the listeners, and I want you to think about it while I'm asking them. Um, and one of the first ones is, are you worried about police shootings uh, towards you or a family member? Are you worried about a police officer shooting you? Personally, to me, my parents never had to have a talk uh, with me about what to do when an officer pulls me over. And if they did, it was never even a thought in their head that I would end up dead. But for black Americans, that's... That's a common talk that a lot of parents have to have with their children, if not all parents have to have with their children, because it's, again, just being pulled over for something could lead to death. And we've seen plenty of examples of it. And if you, if you right now are thinking, oh, well, I never had to have that discussion or my parents never had to have that discussion, you're privileged. And listen, I, I'm not saying it's just you. I am, too. I'm a straight white male in America. I am 100 percent privileged. And I'm very privileged that I didn't have to have that conversation. But the fact that a parent has to have that conversation is ridiculous. That shouldn't be something that a parent has to have uh, a talk with their child about, about just being killed because a police officer stopped them. Plain and simple. And the next question, for, for some people who, who have been more um, lenient and have been more uh, on the side of police officers instead of the citizens, my question to you why are you more worried about an officer with military-grade armor and weapons than about a fellow citizen? And the next question, do you think it's okay for black people to be killed over a bad check or killed in their sleep? And I'm not saying that some people uh, are, you know, feel that way, because I feel like a lot of people are going to say, well, no, of course not. Okay, well, then why aren't you fighting for police reforms. Why aren't you in support of these police reforms? The people who say, oh, no, you know, uh, these black Americans shouldn't have been killed because of offenses like that, but then say, oh, well, these police reforms shouldn't happen. We shouldn't be taking these, those steps. That's ridiculous. If, if you think that there's an issue with um, some of the incidents that led to black Americans being killed, plain and simple, police reforms are needed. You, you can't, you know, have your cake and eat it, too. If you feel that these victims of police brutality shouldn't have been killed, then you should 100% believe that these reforms should be made. And then the final question I have for people, do you actually want something done or are you just following the status quo? Do you actually want something done about police brutality and about systematic racism? Or are you just posting things on social media without really thinking about it? Are you just looking at posts online and thinking, Oh, well, everyone else is doing it, so I would. Like, do you, do you actually care about police reforms and ending systematic racism? Because if you don't, I, I'm going to give you the best advice anyone could give someone. Educate yourself. Thank you.